Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Connor. I want to start right off in this episode by asking this question. Do the ends justify the means? Now, before we answer, let's maybe talk about what this even means. Get it? Means, means, means. Anyways. Okay, so let's say there's a, a bill, a piece of legislation that people are voting on or a candidate uh, running for office and the policy or, you know, a candidate is morally right, morally good. I mean, I think of who we call Dr. No, right? Uh, Ron Paul, who would just vote down all these unconstitutional things and always trying to you know, do the right thing uh, as an elected official. And you know that this will be right for the country. You know, the ends or the, the goal, the outcome, so we call these the ends, like the conclusion, the ends would be, like in my example, would be to get Ron elected because that's what's best for the country. That's why you and I, Brittany, work to get him elected as president. And so that's really important. That would save the Constitution. That would save our country. That would protect our freedom. That is a good end. So we decide to find a way to cheat and steal the election, right? Because we believe those means or, or methods, strategies, so we call these the means, um, we believe these means are a way or maybe a necessary way to reach our goal. So is it worth sacrificing or ignoring the principle of playing fair? Uh, maybe, you know, another example. Let's say I'm working on... Um, a business deal and I'm trying to negotiate a business deal with someone else. And I know that if my customer says yes and agrees to buy what I'm selling, that they'll enjoy it. Like let's, let's maybe even just be silly for a moment and use Tuttle Twins books. So let's say I know that people who buy the Tuttle Twins books love them and they love reading them as a family and having awesome discussions and the kids become smarter than most adults. Like I know that there are good ends when people read the Teletrans books. So what if I decided that my marketing strategy would be to lie about what's in the books? Maybe instead of saying that they teach, you know, the ideas of liberty, because that's, that's alienating to a lot of people, right? They may be like, eh, I, I believe in, you know, socialism or I believe in, um, you know, I'm a member of the Democratic Party or I like big government or or things like this. So those types of people aren't going to buy the Tuttle Twins books. And so what if I think, well, the ends are good. Their kids need to read the Tuttle Twins books. So maybe I should just be a little deceptive uh, in, in how I present the books. The means, right, the means that I would use to achieve my goal might be to lie or to cheat or or to be deceptive. Oh, no, these books just teach about, um, you know, how to develop good character. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or even worse, I could say, these books are great for teaching your kids to be little socialists, <laughs> you know, and like I could just be totally crazy and lie like that. So the question, Brittany, that I want you to respond to as we start here, do you think it's okay to cheat if you know that cheating will help you get the right person elected or Tuttle Twins books into that family's home to help educate their kids or, you know, create an amazing business that sells this awesome product that changes the world or passes this law that will help all these amazing people or lowers this tax. 
whatever the good thing is, do you think that there's any wiggle room, any opportunity to like cheat or deceive or have some bad way uh, strategy or, or thing that we do if that bad thing we do helps us get the good thing that we want? I think it's easy to say like, no, I don't believe in that. That's terrible. But I think almost all of us have had a moment of thinking that like, oh, I could just do this. You know, I'm not going to get caught or the odds of me, you know, getting caught or getting in trouble are slim. So maybe, maybe it's not so bad if it'll, if it'll benefit me, but this is a slippery slope, right? You make one step and then you start justifying in your mind why more and more things are, are worth it if you do this. So I don't think it is okay to do that. I think it's easy to see how our best interests, you know, might might be be better achieved if if we do that. But I think overall we need to stand on first principles, which means no, we should never cheat or or lie or do anything that's bad to another person just to get what we want. Fair enough, but there are a lot of people who disagree with you. That's unfortunate. And, <laughs> and you know, many politicians in particular believe or at least they behave in a way that they think the ends justify the means. If you sat these people down, right, oftentimes maybe they would agree that, well, yeah, the ends don't justify the means, but in this one case, it's really important, or this is the most important election of our lifetime, right? Or like, we have to not let Donald Trump get elected, some people say, so we gotta, you know, do whatever's possible, or we have to get Donald Trump elected, so we gotta do whatever it takes. And people on both sides are kind of using these arguments and, and they would probably, if they go to church or they're talking to their mom or like, you know, being interviewed, they would never probably admit to saying like, yeah, it's, I can use whatever means I want as long as it's a good outcome. But people behave in a way that indicates that they actually do believe that. And one reason this became a popular belief is because of a man named Machiavelli and, uh, and a book he wrote called The Prince. We'll link to this on the show notes page if you head to tuttletwins.com slash podcast. But the prince lays out the rules for getting power and creating a state. I don't mean a state like Texas or New Hampshire, like a like a, a government, a, um, basically a gang. I mean, ultimately, a state, <laughs> whether is, it's yeah. a city or a country or a state, it's really a, a monopoly of violence. It's like we we have these borders, just like a gang has their territory, and you have to do what we say in here. And if you don't, then you know, we can lock you up or shoot you. And so it's kind of crude maybe to say that it's like a gang, but when you kind of look at it, there's a lot of, you know, commonality. Um, and so Machiavelli is saying in The Prince, he's like, here are the rules to get power, to create a state and to keep that power, to, to protect it. And The Prince is basically, in a way, it's like a playbook for politicians. He used lessons from history and his own experience and uh, in his case, Machiavelli was an Italian foreign secretary, so he was a politician in uh, Italy. So he spent a lot of time learning, you know, how to acquire power and how to keep it. And I think readers at the time were, and certainly still are, shocked by how cunning, you know, he was. His his approach to power even became known as Machiavellian, right? This this willingness to kind of do what it takes and to uh, utilize whatever means necessary to achieve the ends that you want. Now, Brittany, I know you studied political science before you dropped out of college. Did you happen to learn at all about the prince? 
Yeah, well, that was um, one of the required readings. Luckily, you read it with some other stuff that isn't as bad, like John Locke. <laughs> Actually, you know what? No, John Locke wasn't a sign. That wasn't until I took my constitutional law class, so mm. that is very telling. Um, but yeah, so I was assigned to read it. I'm going to be honest with you, Connor. I don't think I read it until after I dropped out of college because <laughs> I didn't like reading the books I was assigned. Um, but it's scary to me that this there's such an emphasis placed on this because even though I think we can look at this and say, oh, ends justify the means, that could be horribly abused. You know, I think people also look at it as, oh, well, if we're trying to, you know, reach political ends like that are good in our mind, then, oh, yeah, anything. You know, if we want free health care, then, of course, it's OK if we if we steal money from the people. So it does worry me that we teach this in schools, because I think instead of thinking that it's a little bit scary, people instead be like, oh, this is a great idea. This is how we get what we want from people. And I think it's shown by by the people who do it all the time. And it's funny to me, a lot of these politicians are the ones that come from these Ivy League, these really important schools, you know, so they're they're getting this knowledge. But I don't know if it's the best knowledge. And another way that this plays out that I think about is in war. I think war is a perfect example because in war, you know, governments want to win and they'll do anything to win. And what that usually means, unfortunately, is sacrificing, you know, individual members of the military because those are just numbers to them. Um, this one guy called it the fog of war. His name was Robert McNamara. And he was, I can't remember his, was he secretary of defense? I can't remember what I his. I believe he was. Yeah. During the Vietnam War, which was one of those wars that no one's really sure why we were ever there. And it, it, a lot of people died. So it was terrible tragedy for us. But they were willing to sacrifice young boys. I mean, these were 18-year-old boys going over there and just dying in massive numbers. And what's even worse, and we saw this in Iraq and Afghanistan, they're also willing to just take out civilians, people that have nothing to do with this war, if it if it you know forward like moves them towards their ends, right? The goal that they want, and so it's just horrible. And again, it does scare me that it's something that's just so commonly taught in schools. And like, oh yeah, that's what you do in politics. Another example that comes to my mind, Brittany, as you bring up war, is the concept of false flag events. So speaking of the Vietnam War, you know, maybe a little homework assignment for the kids and families is to go look up the Gulf of Tonkin incident, T-O-N-K-I-N. We'll link to the Wikipedia page on, on the show notes page. So if it's easier, just go to TuttleTwins.com slash podcast and you can learn about the Gulf of Tonkin incident. I'm going to set that aside for now. You guys can go do some fun homework on that. But I will share another example. I think uh, we've talked about this before on the podcast, so I'll just share it again briefly. And that is a military operation called Operation Northwoods. Yeah, that's a and, scary one. Uh, and this was the, the, what's called the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And what this means is they were the top military leaders in the entire country. They're the ones who directly report to the president. They're the ones in charge of, you know, all the military. And they got together and they came up with a plan. And this was during kind of the Cuban uh, crisis. So Cuba is south of Florida and uh, Fidel Castro was uh, working with the communists. And so the, the Soviets were setting up, you know, like missiles and things right at the doorstep of the United States. And so uh, Americans were kind of really nervous, you know, about that. And so it was a big controversy. So the Joint Chiefs of Staff, these military bosses, went to the president of the United States, who at the time uh, was John F. Kennedy. And they came up with a plan and they proposed killing Americans and blaming it on Cuba. Why? Because they wanted to get Americans to support war in Cuba. At the time, the, the, the polls, meaning when people are asked and, 
and they can use science and math and kind of figure out what the entire public thinks based on just asking a few people. So that's how you do opinion polls. And so they they saw the polls and Americans did not really support war in Cuba. They just were like, no, let's not do that. Let's stay out of it. But these military bosses did want to go to war. They wanted to defeat Fidel Castro. They had an end, to use the language of today's podcast. They had a certain end they wanted. And so they were willing to employ means that included killing American citizens because they felt that doing that and blaming it on Cuba would shift American opinion, that they would then be able to go pursue that end of attacking Fidel Castro and the communists. And so therefore it was okay to kill all these people and pretend it was the Cubans. And this is not an isolated incident. We call this a false flag event. Uh, think of, think of. I, I think this is how it originated. Brittany, maybe you know, uh, but <clears throat> and I may be uh, wrong in thinking this up, but I, I believe the term comes from uh, old like naval warfare when countries would fight on the open seas with their ships with cannons firing at one another and they would have flags. So from a distance with a telescope, you could see, oh, there's some ships out there. You know, who are they? Are they Spanish? Are they Portuguese? Right? Are they English? Are they pirates? And so what pirates could do or what people from other countries could do is they could be deceptive and hoist a, a flag of a different country to pretend that, you know, oh, hey, Spaniards, we're also from Spain, right? Because we have the Spanish flag. And so then the Spaniards would be like, oh, good, our friends are, are bringing reinforcements. So then that boat gets closer and closer. But, oh, hey, it's not the Spaniards. It's the, let's say it's the English and suddenly they start firing on you and now they're in firing range and you let them get that close because you were deceived into thinking that they were one of you. So that's I think I think that's why we call that a false. I just double checked and you are exactly right. It came yeah. from the 1600s or 1600s. So yep. Wow, okay. All right. Well, that was somewhere in the you know, deep dark recesses of my brain that I guess I read at some point. So we call this a false flag event and it just means that using lies and deceit to achieve these these goals these ends and our government does it too the so-called land of the free again go read gulf of tonkin there's operation northwoods there's many more go research false flag events if you want the challenge that that presents Brittany, for our topic today i feel like i'll give you the last word here in a moment is that um, there are many people in our government who maybe believe in freedom or believe in American strength or protecting America's interests or spreading democracy or whatever it is. And they are willing to do all kinds of nasty things to get it. I think that's a problem. Your final thoughts. Yeah, I think, yes, we know government is the the obvious, you know, perpetrator of these kind of things. But I think, and here's kind of a challenge to listeners is notice if maybe you're doing this in your own life with small things, right? You're not, hopefully you're not starting a war. I don't think you can, but little things like maybe you really want to win a board game with your siblings and you think, okay, maybe if I just lie a little bit or cheat a little bit, right? So look at four examples of maybe when you do this in your own life and and make an effort not to do it or just, you know, kind of recognize that that, that is like a natural inclination of people when they want to win and it's crazy, but you know, it starts with you not doing that. So that would be my final thought. Love it. Great topic. <clears throat> Check out TuttleTwins.com slash podcast, you guys, for those resources. Brittany, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.